0: Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Allie Terry, and welcome everyone to episode 47. Today is a very exciting episode because I am joined by two very special guests. Our first special guest is perhaps best known for her incredible acting and comedic prowess on the Rooster Teeth-funded projects Funhouse and Arizona Circle. But she's also been known to produce, write, do stand-up, and according to her wiki, she's also a Muppet enthusiast, which sounds pretty haunted to me. It's Elise Willems. Welcome to the show, Elise. I've
1: never been introduced in a way that made me get emotional
0: (laughs) that was so sweet thank you Allie thanks for having me of course Thank you for coming on. And next up, we have the equally talented comedian, writer, and creative director on Funhouse, Arizona Circle, Talking Stockings, and No Idea. And more importantly, his feet have 4.9 out of 5 stars on WikiFeet, <laughs> so James Willow Thank
2: you for having me. So close to that 5 stars. <laughs> fighting for it.
0: So close. I think we just got to take some glamour shots of the feet, and you'll be there. I
2: think so. I don't want to mislead the people. I don't want like lighting to be the determining factor. <laughs> I want it. To- to be my feet in a pure, reg- uh, regular state. So,
0: raw feet—that's great. We're we're all about that on Let's Get Haunted. And if our audience is wondering why they both have the same last name, it is because they are spouses and co-parents to their son Benson.
1: True. <laughs> this is the best introduction I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Benson, who may have seen a ghost last night, we're not sure.
0: Yes, let's talk about that. So you said that Benson got up last night to get a drink of water and may or may not have seen a ghost.
2: So he sleeps with us in the bed and he's pretty good about sleeping through the night. Like we've never had that many issues of him like getting up or like waking us up and he's the last one out of bed and stuff like that. But he's an
1: old man dog.
2: He's an old man dog. And so he doesn't normally get up except for when he falls off the bed, which has happened a couple times this year. Um, but yeah, last night he he just kind of popped up around 1.30 a.m. Got some water and then stood awkwardly, staring. Just staring, in the hall.
1: Yeah, we
0: had an we had an episode on here. We we were talking about how animals can see ghosts. We had a listener write in about their opinion on this, and apparently, if you have a dog. You, the ghost can't get you because the dog will stop the ghost from entering your home. So oh, maybe that's what Benson was doing. Great. Maybe it's not early onset dementia. He was just protecting <laughs> he was you. He's
2: defending us? That doesn't sound yeah. like Benson, but maybe. Yeah. Maybe. In a Mr. Magoo type way where mm-hmm. he accidentally <laughs> fended off the ghost.
0: <laughs> right. He just wanted to play, but what he was really doing was saving your lives. Yeah. Um, And I do want to make a quick note to our listeners. If you follow us on Twitter, you already know this. But the reason why I am not joined by Natalia today is because she has heard this story already not once, but twice. Because we tried to record this episode a couple of weeks ago with special guest Steven. and he lost the audio twice, Great. as he is prone to do. Great. So I could not put them through that again. I said, after five hours of recording, I was like, we need to get some some fresh ears, some fresh minds on this story, because after after a while of hearing the story, you're just like pretending to be scared, and then it's not fun anymore. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, you so should also know. So I really know, appreciate just, you guys.
2: Just for your own sense. I can see the waveform. I have the audio right in front of me. And so we'll know <laughs> oh, if something hang goes Hang on.
1: Or... Steven, Steven just walked through the door. Oh, oh he says he'll <laughs> handle it. Oh, hang
0: on. He's reaching
2: for the keyboard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's hitting stop. <laughs> No, this is my nightmare. I know if this if something happens with this audio this time, then we just know this story is it's way cursed. too haunted. True. It's cursed. No one is allowed to hear it anymore. But I think that more likely than not, the story isn't cursed. Steven is just cursed.
2: <laughs> well, we're honored to hear it. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited.
0: Well, let me start with some questions that we like to do with our guests just to get a baseline of where you guys are at. First question, do you guys believe in ghosts? What are your opinions on ghosts?
1: Well, my, my opinion on ghosts and the afterlife and the like, I think is in flux and always changing as I get older and mm-hmm. I change. Um, I am not a religious person, but I do think that things are connected. You know, we're all composed of matter. When we die, I think that matter goes back into the universe, um, and so I do think that there, like, there's there's so much. Wild stuff that happens in our world, natural phenomenon that you would you, that you would look at and think like, "Wow, this is you know it's it's the reason why um, early people came up with stories because they didn't have the, the scientific evidence." But I do think that there is maybe some natural phenomenon mm. that
2: that paranormal could be part of. Yeah, if that
0: makes any sense. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. What do you think, James?
2: I mean, I feel somewhat similarly. But I would probably maybe even go a little bit further away from like the fact that like matter or whatever might compose something like a phenomenon even type thing. I just think the brains are such complex organs that like there are people who perceive things differently, like everyone perceives things differently. And so for me, it's like, well, what's the difference between a ghost in the traditional form and someone having some sort of, you know, biologically induced hallucination? brought on by whatever else thing you know so like like at a certain point i don't it's the matrix phenomenon what's the difference between being in the matrix and not knowing and being out of the matrix so like i feel like there's definitely the brain can do whatever it wants to so it doesn't delegitimize the spookiness of those types of scenarios, though.
0: No, yeah, that's a really good point. And we've talked on this show before about, yeah, does it make a difference? If you're perceiving something to be reality, then then does it matter if it's real or not? It's real to you. Mm-hmm. So when you're ranking paranormal phenomenon, how do you rank aliens in in relation to ghosts? Do you think aliens are more likely, less likely?
1: Uh, well, to me, aliens are a different type of phenomenon mm-hmm. and I think that there is probably life out in the universe but I don't know that we'll ever meet it or if it exists in any iteration that we would recognize really
2: yeah, I feel like just based on odds like there has to be life out there somewhere yeah. in, in the massive right. expanse of the universe right? but when it comes
1: to like aliens versus ghosts I'm definitely on the side of ghosts like
0: I'm more interested oh, oh, yeah, yeah. in that oh got it yeah what about alien ghosts oh
3: i (laughs) never thought about what happens when aliens die (laughs) (laughs) could
2: you you imagine being an alien on some planet like billions of light years away dying but then you're resurrected as a spirit in this world like how confusing that must be
1: Uh, can you imagine getting probed by an alien ghost no i refuse i refuse
0: (laughs) <laughs> um what about curses? We talked on this show about the Kennedy curse, for example. Do you think that curses or cursed objects or cursed bloodlines could be a thing?
2: I don't think that I I, I don't think that I am of the curse camp. You're not? I don't think so. I think so. the
0: Kennedys
1: sowed some of what came back that's, to them. That's
2: my thing. Uh, you yeah. think about that family, you're like, "Okay, well you created all these opportunities for just misery to follow you." You know, like I'm probably never going to be cursed. To go down in a plane flying over some sort of place because I probably won't be on a private plane anyway. You're not gonna have me lobotomized.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, they created more opportunities for tragedy to befall them in ways that the average person yeah. would never have the ability to do. What about what about cryptids, which would be like Bigfoot, Mermaids, uh the Yeti? Mm. What do you guys think about that?
2: Again, I don't know that I'm really I don't know that I necessarily believe in that. So much of that has already had, like the dude who was Bigfoot was like, it was me and then he died, <laughs> you know, like so, so much of it has already been explained and like it kind of feels like, like old mythology where they had like Scylla and Charybdis and they were like, it's a 12-headed mm-hmm. monster that would like rip men off the boats and destroy the side of the ship. But then if you go there now, you're like, oh, it's a bunch of jagged rocks. Like that makes sense why they would explain it in such right. a harrowing way. But.
0: yeah i think there, right or a mermaid's just a manatee yeah, yeah
2: exactly yeah
1: i think there definitely are creatures that are parallel
2: mm-hmm. to those
1: cryptids um because there are like just massive uh like aquatic life under mm-hmm. the ocean that you would see and be like oh that's probably what they thought you know nessie was akin
2: to mm-hmm.
1: but yeah right i want to believe is that bad like i want Me to believe.
2: But, but here's well my thing is always just I feel like when you get the actual explanation it's just as impressive. Like again going back to just a bunch of jagged rocks and a uh, really like high tide over off the coast of Mycenae or whatever like what went into creating those scenarios is kind of just as impressive as the final thing like a mermaid cool while cool imagining like a hot chick above and a fish below is not any hot fish below. Excuse me. Yeah. um, (laughs) is not, is not any less impressive than the biological functions that create, say a manatee, you know, like, right. At some point, at some point, a dog was like, I'm going to go for a swim and never come back. (laughs) And then like, A million years later, there's manatee. And I'm like, that's that's kind of cool, too, as much as magic is.
0: Well, and that's kind of what our podcast is about, too. We're not a skeptic podcast. So when we read these stories, we go into it with the mindset of, sure, why not? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Why not? I wasn't there. Maybe it did happen that way. But we also think that everything is haunted. So, for example, if you got really drunk last night and did something stupid, that's haunted. Like we'll <laughs> yeah. s- like a, a, a spirit possessed your body and your mind temporarily left you and you were haunted for that night. Mm-hmm. Or we also have positive hauntings. So Natalia, for example, was driving on the freeway the other day and saw a... Um, possum on the side of the road and she decided to stop it had been hit by a car and she picked it up and took it to a rescue and it got surgery on its femur and we crowdfunded to get it this oh, I saw surgery this. On, on her yeah Instagram, and yeah. so exactly so we call that a positive haunting it's just like tongue-in-cheek like anything that is mildly interesting, we think, is haunted. So as you're listening to this story, there might be legitimate hauntings, and there might be some positive hauntings here. So we'll see. I'm Um, into all of them. Yeah,
2: yeah. Let's get
1: haunted.
0: Yeah. Okay. perfect. Hey, now you got it. Okay. so let's get into today's story. Today's story takes place in the Hammersmith area of London, England. Hammersmith is the name of a district of West London. It was founded in the year 1294, and its name means place with a hammersmithy or forge. Notable landmarks of Hammersmith include the Hammersmith Bridge, which was built in 1827 and was the first suspension bridge crossing the River Thames, and a pub called The Dove, which according to the Guinness World Book of Records has the smallest bar room in the world and was a frequent hangout spot of Ernest Hemingway. Hammersmith has been featured in some notable literature throughout history, including Charles Dickens' Great Expectations when main character Pip moves to Hammersmith with the Pocket family in the second stage of the book. And in modern-day England, Hammersmith is one of the region's main commercial and employment centers and has for some decades been a center of London's Polish community. But today's story does not take place in modern-day England. It takes place in the early 1800s in the small village of Hammersmith beginning in the year 1802 when a man committed suicide by slitting his throat in the street. The unnamed man was then buried in Hammersmith Churchyard, despite the fact that the belief in England at the time was that people who died by suicide could not be buried in consecrated ground because if they were, their souls would never be at rest.
2: That's interesting. That's a twist.
0: Now, to understand this story, you need to understand the superstitions that were prevalent in England at the time. So at the time, they did not have the same understanding that we have now of suicide, and so it was considered both a sin and a criminal offense. And often those who committed suicide were buried at crossroads with their head facing downwards. Medieval and early modern Europeans believed that the souls of the dead resided at these crossroads and would build shelters and wooden booths for their souls to stop and rest in. The spirits of suicide victims were thought to be dangerous and able to enter the living world if not buried properly. When they weren't buried at crossroads, suicide victims might also be buried in so-called, quote, execution cemeteries burial grounds used to inter those denied a churchyard burial including criminals the unbaptized and suicides the deceased often lay on their sides or in a prone position with their limbs akimbo decapitated or interred with bound hands the so-called deviant burials and i'm going to send you guys a picture of what a deviant burial looks like don't worry there's no gore
2: That's right. I just want to... Can I just put it out here? I I want to state right now that I want a deviant burial. (laughs) I'm requesting a deviant burial. That's what
0: I want. You're going on record. So I sent you guys two photos, and since we are an audio-only podcast, to our listeners, I will be posting these on the Instagram account when this episode goes live. But I want... Elise, if you can describe the first photo that came through.
1: Yeah, there's a skeleton, and it's... Uh, in a plot of dirt, uh, it's it's face down, as you as you described, legs and arms akimbo, so kind of like bent at the knees, like it basically looks like this body was just dumped in this shallow grave and that was kind of the extent of it
2: it it looks like it looks like when you've had a really long day and then you get like back (laughs) to your place and you're like i just need a and you just Just lie down down on the couch or the bed or whatever like like, it's like like, yeah like this woman found this grave and said just 10 minutes which makes sense if it's a suicide and someone's like i just found this life to be utterly exhausting and i just need to lie down
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly right. So this person um, kind of looks like they were just haphazardly thrown into a shallow grave like you pointed out, Elise, but actually the placement of the arms and legs are intentional. You know, we think of someone being buried in a coffin with the hands crossed and resting on top of the chest, legs straight out. Well, that actually has its roots in ceremonial burial. And so this kind of haphazard look is the opposite of a ceremonial burial because they thought that someone who would commit suicide was committing a crime and also committing a sin. And as we all know, early 1800s England super religious right mm-hmm. then the second photo I have sent you guys James if you want to describe that to our listeners
2: yeah so it's it's a bunch of bones again lying in what appears to be a pretty shallow grave um and it looks like it's lying on its back except the the only the <laughs> only thing the slight detail <laughs> that I can find is off is that instead of the head being attached to the neck it appears to be resting between the shins yeah. um, and i also don't see any hands or feet on the on the skeleton either so it looks like you know they just, just cut it, it. they cut it into certain bits not completely into a thousand pieces and then throw the throw the head down there between the legs
0: exactly great observation so something that the english thought in the early 1800s was that much like we read about with vampires and how people used to kill people that they thought were vampires by putting a stake through the skeleton or putting a brick in the mouth or decapitating it's sort of the same principle because they thought that maybe the body might not reanimate but that if you didn't prevent the soul from reanimating it would come back and haunt the town and so as a way to prevent that they would decapitate remove arms remove legs remove feet or bury it kind of in this haphazard way unceremonial way with no ceremony hoping that the body or the soul would then remain at rest
2: it's interesting because to me i mean granted it's a very different time period very different culture It feels like you're just asking for a scarier ghost to come back. (laughs) right. Now it's got something without hands, stumbling around without feet, holding its head between its (laughs) legs. Like, that's way scarier to me than if I just saw this person come after me.
0: Well, that's another great point. Something that I thought of when I was reading this for the first time is I was thinking, why would... Why would you bury someone at a crossroads, face down? Like, what, is why not just put them... Maximum is it because traffic? they don't
1: want them to have direction? Like, they want them to feel conflicted? Or is it because they thought the
0: person was conflicted? Yeah, so at least that's perfect. When I told this story to uh, Natalia and Steven, they were both just like, well, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> just <laughs> drop them at a crossroads. Like, no, you're, you're absolutely right. So I have an article here written by Eugene Byrne, from BBC History magazine called Why Were People Who Died by Suicide Historically Buried at Crossroads? And she goes on to write, Suicide used to be regarded as shocking and blasphemous, and a coroner's verdict of fellow de say, or literally crime against oneself, usually resulted in the body being buried at a crossroads with a stake through the heart and with no religious ceremony. The dead's property could also be confiscated. Historians and archaeologists have long speculated on the reason for crossroad burials. Perhaps it was the nearest resting place the deceased would get to any sort of religious symbol, because it's shaped like a cross. It may also have been because execution grounds were common at crossroads and suicide was considered a crime. Or superstition may have also come into it. Crossroads might confuse the ghost of the deceased. Archaeological evidence suggests that crossroad burials of executed individuals have been going on since Anglo-Saxon times. However, crossroad burials ended with the increased understanding of mental illness and depression, particularly after the suicide of Lord Castleroe in 1822. So, you're right on, Elise, with what you said we think probably the most likely is that a crossroads was thought to sort of confuse the ghost. Maybe they might not know which way to travel because they had so many options, or perhaps it was just a matter of convenience because a lot of gallows or execution grounds were located at major crossroads in the Mm -hmm. cities. So they thought, well, this is a really close place to bury them. Let's just dump them here. Or if we're being exceedingly nice or giving the villagers the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they thought, well, we can't bury this person in a church graveyard, but a crossroads is shaped like a cross. Mm -hmm. So let's give them something. Yeah. Interesting. That's optimistic.
1: I
2: like that that one. Knowing what I know about uh, 19th century, early 19th century (laughs) (laughs) villagers, I'm going to say, probably not that one. (laughs) Maybe not.
0: And not only were suicide victims buried in this way, but also the bodies of outlaws, those killed by lightning and unbaptized children were thought to have souls that could neither enter the world of the deceased nor become incorporated into the society of the dead. Wishing to be, quote, reincorporated into the world of the living, but being denied this, these homeless and wandering souls become malevolent, and these were considered the most dangerous dead. Do you know the rationale behind the
1: lightning one? Is it that they think I the mean, person was cursed or something? It
2: probably feels like you're literally struck, struck from the by heavens, God. right? Like, yes. you have lived a great life, done everything wonderful, but then... God said no. It's, everyone else is going to take the take the side of a giant lightning bolt that struck, <laughs> strikes you yeah. from above. Wow. Yeah,
0: that's exactly right. That seems so mean, right? Like you're a great <laughs> person. You're just living your life and then you get struck by lightning and now you're haunted. And so I was researching it and this story doesn't take place in Greece, but in Greece they thought that it was literally Zeus hitting you with a lightning bolt mm-hmm. and they would just leave the bodies wherever they were struck as like a reminder to everyone, hey, you need to follow what Zeus um, wants us to do. And if you don't, then this is an example of what could happen to you. And so they weren't that extreme in England. They didn't just leave the bodies to rot where they were struck. But it was the same principle. Like you said, James, they thought that God himself was literally smiting people. And so because of that, they didn't deserve a churchyard burial.
2: I mean, there couldn't have been that many people that, like, really got screwed, like, out of the afterlife, out of a peaceful afterlife because of lightning bolts. But still, those that were, that's unfortunate.
0: Yeah. Right. What a bummer. So back to our story. Like I said, a man in the village of Hammersmith runs out into the middle of the street one day, slits his own throat, and dies. For some unknown reason, the village decided to bury him in the church graveyard even though that was not the custom at the time. And as luck would have it, for the next 12 months following his burial, strange things began to happen in the church graveyard. People began reporting sightings almost every night of a ghostly apparition materializing in the church's graveyard. Some witnesses describe the apparition as a tall, misty figure wrapped in a white funeral shroud that emitted a bright white light. Other witnesses describe the apparition as a man wrapped in calfskins with two horns sticking out of his head and wide eyes made of glass that never blinked. I'm going to send you an artist rendition from the 1800s oh of what this looked like. Here come my
2: nightmares. <laughs> now, by the way, this could be an artist rendition from, of the, from the 1800s of basically anything, and it will give me nightmares. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anyone drew anything back then that wasn't
0: scary (laughs) so i sent you guys three photos and those two apparitions are pretty different right the first one is like a full-bodied human man that just is glowing this white pretty light and then the other one is kind of like a half goat half man with these wide soulless eyes that don't blink and are made of glass
1: yeah looks like gandalf (laughs) (laughs) that second one
2: kind of like like scary santa
1: yes yeah, scary
0: santa the first two i'm not sure what order they sent to you guys in but the first two should be um the apparition of a man in a white funeral shroud and then the very last one if you zoom in should be the goat man
2: yeah there's the goat yes. man he looks like a like a lame uh comic book villain that maybe got one issue and then you never saw again um, <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> so which one's your favorite between those two
2: I, I think between those two, um, mm-hmm. I like, I mean, I like Goatman a lot, though I do appreciate the, the first one of the guy in the shroud doing the YMCA. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so back to the story. One evening, an elderly woman went to pray at a family member's headstone when suddenly a bright light seemed to materialize out of nowhere from behind a neighboring headstone. Slowly, a very tall figure wrapped in a white funeral shroud rose up from behind the grave. The woman froze in fright. Before she could move, the white figure engulfed her completely, squeezing her around her back. The woman passed out. The next morning, a villager spotted the old woman, still unconscious in the graveyard. A group of men carried her to her house, where she regained consciousness and told them what she had seen. Two days later, she died in her bed, having never recovered from seeing the ghostly specter. A few weeks later, a pregnant woman was walking by the graveyard on her way home at night when a bright light caught the corner of her eye. She turned to see what it was, and at that moment, a transparent man emanating a white light rose up from behind a gravestone and grabbed her in the same way that the old woman had been grabbed. The pregnant woman passed out immediately. When she came to, she was surrounded by villagers asking her what had happened. She shakily explained what she had seen before dying right there next to the graveyard. About a month after the death of the pregnant woman, a wagoner was driving his wagon, which was being pulled by eight horses and had 16 passengers in the back, when the figure of a half-goat, half-man, with horns and large glass eyes, suddenly appeared on the side of the road by the church. The phantom frightened both the wagoner and his horses so much that he lost control of the wagon and almost overturned, which would have almost surely killed all of his passengers had he not regained control in the nick of time. A few weeks after this sighting of the spirit, the town brewer, Thomas Groom, was walking home when he saw the ghost himself. He recounted the story, which was documented by authorities, and reads as follows. I was going through the churchyard between eight and nine o'clock, with my jacket under my arm and my hands in my pocket, when some person came from behind a tombstone, which there are four square in the yard behind me, and caught me fast by the throat with both hands, and held me fast. My fellow servant who was going on before hearing me scuffling asked what was the matter then whatever it was gave me a twist round and I saw nothing I gave a bit of a push out with my fist and I felt something soft like a great coat but nothing was there Finally On December 29, 1803, a night watchman by the name of William Girdler was on patrol around the village when he saw the ghostly figure of a man covered in a white funeral shroud near the church. Hardly believing his eyes, Girdler immediately shouted at the ghost and gave chase. When spotted, the figure immediately threw off its white shroud. To Girdler's surprise, the ghost looked like a man, very much alive and dressed in all white. He tried to overtake the Phantom, but lost it in the area's narrow lanes. When he went to report his encounter with the other watchmen on patrol, he reportedly said that he no longer thought it was a ghost. Instead, he thought it might be a madman on the loose who had wrapped himself in calfskins and blankets and been frightening women to death and attacking both men and women alike. Girdler's report spread throughout the village, and soon a group of local vigilantes formed with the sole goal of catching the ghost (laughs) imposter before he could kill and accost more citizens. Among this group of vigilantes was 29-year-old Francis Smith, a tax collector. The group of vigilantes patrolled in turns throughout the month of December, hoping to catch whoever had been attacking residents. They had no luck until the new year rolled around. On January 3, 1804, a 31-year-old bricklayer named Thomas Millwood went to visit his parents and sister a little after 10 p.m. He was wearing his bricklaying uniform which consisted of linen trousers, a waistcoat, and an apron, all recently washed and very white. After a while, his parents went to bed, but he stayed up chatting with his sister until around 11 p.m. when the village watchman shouted out the time. Thomas decided that it was getting late and he should head home, so he walked out the door to his parents' house. His sister Anne saw him to the door and watched him disappear down the street into the dark and misty night. Soon, she heard a man yelling and gunfire. She called out her brother's name, hoping to hear a response, but there was none. She ran and woke her parents up, telling them that Thomas had just left for his house and that she had heard gunfire. Anne found Thomas lying dead on the ground, his face covered with blood and his jaw horribly disfigured. Taking his hand, she urged him to speak, but there was no response and she realized he was dead. Anne remained at the scene, holding her brother's hand and weeping. Already surrounding the body of Thomas Millwood was a small group of men which included wine merchant John Locke, night watchman William Girdler, and tax collector Francis Smith. Smith, it turned out, had shot Thomas, thinking he was the ghost. He was committed to Newgate Prison to await his trial. Although Francis Smith's trial took place over 200 years ago, the criminal court transcripts of his trial were meticulously recorded and preserved, and you can read them online to this day. So, Elise and James, since both of you have acting experience, and Elise, I know you do a really great Kira Knightley, I thought, hey... Let's make you guys work on this episode and act out the courtroom scene. So I have emailed transcripts to you guys. Your parts are highlighted. I'm going to be the attorney. James, you're going to be most of the male witnesses. And Elise, you're going to be the female witnesses plus a couple male witnesses because there are quite a few people. Excellent. So before we start reading this transcript, what are your guys' thoughts and feelings so far about this case? I mean,
1: it doesn't. I mean, I guess it could be someone in the village that's just terrorizing people.
2: Well, the fact that one of the, like, it's like this person, old woman uh, and then and a pregnant woman were like a ghost attacked me and then one dude's like, I saw a guy and is, I went, hey you! And he threw the sheet off and went running. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's like, okay, well that's that's like a different thing. At first, the first story I was like, oh man, like you know i wonder it's an older woman and they don't know biology and stuff So, like maybe she had a stroke and it's like you know when the blood vessels pop in your brain and you just go down you like and they're all dying afterwards so like i don't even know how you explain dying from fright i anymore. say goat man but but it could you just say be a goat, goat, man. Man. I goat man it could be a Goatman for sure <laughs> um, i mean the
1: the added element of francis smith pulling the trigger and and killing thomas millwood like that's a whole other layer yeah too
0: okay so to me it sounds like so far elise you're more on the paranormal side when it comes to this story and james it sounds like you are more on the skeptic side so that's good to know where you guys are at so far let's see if reading the court transcripts and hearing the rest of the story changes your mind at all now, before we start reading the transcripts, I just want to give a disclaimer and say that I do human resources, so I cannot do an English accent, but okay. you guys, I'm okay. going to make you work. All right. Oh, so i will tell you whenever... oh, okay. oh, I don't even
1: know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> Francis Smith, murder, 11th
0: of January, 1804. Francis Smith was indicted for the willful murder of Thomas Millwood. John Locke, sworn. Question, where do you live?
2: At Emma Smith.
0: What is your profession?
2: A wine merchant.
0: Do you know anything of the manner in which the deceased came by his death?
2: On the third of this month, at half past ten, I met Francis. He informed me he had shot a man who he believed to be, to be the pretended ghost of Emma Smith.
0: There had been such a rumour, had there?
2: For a considerable time. I went with him and the watchman.
0: Did the watchman come up to you?
2: The watchman was in the company was in company with me. We went up cross lane.
0: All three of you?
2: Yes, and Mr. George Stowe with us. It's a cross lane that crosses Black Lion Lane and Beaver Lane. We saw the deceased lying apparently dead. Mr. Stowe consulted what was to be done with the deceased. We sent for the high constable and ordered him to come down to see what was to be done.
0: What appearance had the body of the deceased?
2: No appearance of life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did you observe the head or any part of the body?
2: I observed the head. It appeared to be shot on the lower part of the jaw, on the left side.
0: What did the prisoner say?
2: He seemed very much agitated. I told him what I thought of the consequence of firing. He said he had fired and, I, and didn't, didn't know if it was that person. It was an extreme dark night, the prisoner appeared very much agitated, and I advised him to go to his lodgings.
0: Did he say anything had passed between him and the deceased?
2: He said he had spoke to him twice and received no answer.
0: Cross-examined by Mr. Const. Question. You have said that there had been some talk about a ghost.
2: Yes, for some time. I suppose for five weeks previous to that...
0: Had you among others ever seen the figure?
2: No, I had not.
0: You know, I believe, however unfortunate it has turned out, that almost all the young men had gone out.
2: Yes, several parties had gone out.
0: Which was publicly known and talked of? Yes. The dress of the Phantom had also been described?
2: Yes, and corresponding very much with the dress of the deceased.
0: And what was that dress?
2: Linen trousers, entirely white, washed very clean. A waistcoat of flannel, apparently new, very white, and an apron which he wore round him. His, tris- his trousers came down almost to the edge of his shoes.
0: And what was he?
2: A bricklayer, I am informed. I did not know him.
0: Court, what was reputed to be the appearance of the mischievous person?
2: In, in white sometimes, and sometimes in the skin of a beast, a calf skin or something of that sort.
0: From the communication of the prisoner, you knew of the unfortunate accident? Yes. You observed he was in great trepidation.
2: Yes, wonderfully so. So much so that he could barely speak.
0: Do you recollect whether, in the discourse, he told you of the conduct of the deceased and what he did?
2: He said he had advanced to him and irritated his fears or something of that sort.
0: That he called out twice and the figure advanced to him and raised his fears more?
2: Yes, and which was the case certainly.
0: This lane is described as a very dark lane, correct?
2: Yes, very dark.
0: And it was a very dark night?
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) I understand the lane is enclosed between two hedges?
2: Yes, and if it was a light night, it would be dark in the lane. Though it is not wider than from me to you, which is about four yards. You could not perceive anybody on the other side of it.
0: The prisoner, I understand, is in the excise? He is. You have known him for some time.
2: I have. He lives just by me.
0: Did he surrender himself afterwards?
2: Directly. I advised him to go to his lodgings. He went, and afterwards, when they called to him, he came down directly, but he wished to surrender himself in the first instance. He said, first, I wish you would take me into custody for or send for somebody.
0: What is his disposition?
2: A very mild one.
0: And a man of humanity? Yes. Generally esteemed?
2: I don't know anyone that has any reason to say anything against him. He is generally liked.
0: Girdler Sworn, so this is a new guy. Okay, alright. Question. <laughs> Question. You are a watchman at Hammersmith? Yes. <laughs> you you went with Mr. Locke on the third of this month? Yes. Tell me what you observed with respect to the deceased.
2: I saw him saw him laying up back on uh, laying upon his back on the lane.
0: In what condition was he?
2: Laying on his back quite straight.
0: What did you observe with regard to his person? Did he appear to be alive or dead?
2: He was quite dead.
0: Did you observe any wound on him?
2: No farther than in the jaw.
0: What sort of wound?
2: Just on the left side. It appeared as if it was done by the shot.
0: Tell me everything that you heard and saw.
2: I was called by Mrs. Honor at the White Hart, and Mrs. Smith came up there after he had shot the man.
0: Was that the occasion of your going to the place where the man was shot? Yes, yes. What did he say or do?
2: We met Mr Locke and Mr We met Mr Locke and Mr Stowe at the corner of Black Lion Lane. I went down with Mr. Smith.
0: What did Smith say to you when he came there?
2: He said he had hurt the man. I said, I hope you have not hurt him much. He said says he, I have, and I feel very bad.
0: <laughs> you and Mr. Locke and Mr. Stowe went to the deceased?
2: Mr. Smith and I went first, and Mr. Locke and Mr. Stowe came up immediately afterwards.
0: Did Smith desire you to go? Yes. What passed when you came to the place where the deceased lay?
2: Nothing passed then.
0: Did the prisoner say anything?
2: I don't remember his saying anything further about it.
0: What did you do when you got there?
2: Carried him to the Black Lion.
0: Had you any meeting with the prisoner in Beaver Lane that night, or any night before?
2: I met with him at the corner of Beaver Lane that night, and he said he was going to search after the ghost.
0: What time was it when you met him there?
2: About half past ten, I said. I would come round after I had cried the hour and, and searched the lanes, and we would take him, if possible, we agreed, if we met, uh, if we met in the lane, to say who comes there. Friend? Advance, Friend? What did you do? I went upon my own business.
0: Did you hear the gunfire?
2: Yes, just before I came to Black Lion Lane.
0: What did you do upon hearing the report?
2: I did not take any notice of it because I hear them every quarter of an hour, almost all night.
0: Do you mean that you hear guns fire frequently in the nighttime? Yes. What did you do then?
2: We took the body to Black Lion Lane.
0: Did you meet any young woman as you were going to the White Hart? No. But you said before to the justice that you did.
2: Mrs. Honours maid came with a candle and called me and said, I was wanted to go along with Mr. Smith.
0: Did you see the prisoner with a gun in his hand at any time that evening?
2: He had a gun in his hand, and when I met with him at the corner of Beaver Lane.
0: When you came to the body of the deceased, did you see a gun there? No. Did he say anything about delivering himself up?
2: He told Mr. Locke and Mr. Stowe he would deliver himself up immediately.
0: Cross-examined by Mr. Gurney, question. When he told you he was going to look after the ghost, were you armed?
2: I had a pistol with me, as I always have. Was it dark? It was very dark.
0: Had you heard the rumor of the appearance of a ghost?
2: Yes, I had seen it myself the Thursday before.
0: What day did this accident happen?
2: On Tuesday.
0: What appearance had it when you saw it?
2: It had a white sheet, or tablecloth, I cannot say which.
0: How near to Beaver Lane?
2: It was the other side of Beaver Lane.
0: Near Beaver Lane?
2: Yes, just the opposite, the four-mile stone.
0: Did you pursue it? Yes. When you pursued it, how did it escape?
2: Slipped the sheet or tablecloth off, and then it just got it over his head. It was just as if his head was was in a bag.
0: How long had the neighborhood been alarmed with its appearance?
2: About six weeks, or two months.
0: Was the alarm great in general?
2: Yes, very great.
0: Had considerable mischief happened from it?
2: Many people were very much frightened.
0: Do you know of any mischief that happened to any woman by it?
2: I have heard tell of it, but I don't know it.
0: There was a rumor of mischief having occurred from it. Yes. Have you known the prisoner for some time? Yes. What character was he born?
2: Always a very good-tempered young man.
0: Nothing like a man of cruel disposition. No. Anne Millwood sworn, Elise, this is your time to shine. Here we go. Question. (laughs) With whom do you live? With my father and mother in Black Lion Lane. The deceased was your brother, I believe? Yes. Be so good as to tell the jury what you know relating to this melancholy affair. Between ten and eleven o'clock,
1: my brother came to my father's house. He had been to see for his wife, who was at Mr. Smith's, the Outriders. My mother and I were just going to bed when he came in. He said, Mother, are you going to bed? I made answer, yes. Thomas, is your wife come home? He said, no, she will not be at home for half an hour. I said, will you come in, and I will sit with you. He came in, and I sat with him. We talked a considerable time, till my mother fell asleep. While my brother was sitting, I heard the watchman crying past eleven o'clock, as I thought, I told my brother, your time is expired, you had better go. He did not attend to me, but sat for a considerable time, "'I said, "'You had better go. "'It is dangerous for your wife to come home by herself.' "'He jumped up and said, "'I will go.' "'He bid my mother and me good night "'and went out of the door and shut it.' as soon as he was gone, I jumped up and went to the door. As soon as I got to the door, I heard a voice say, Damn you! Who are you? And what are you? Damn you! I will shoot you! And whilst they were speaking, the gun went off, and I saw the flash of fire from the gun. I went from the door and called Thomas as loud as I could three or four times, but nobody answered. I went into my mother and said, I do think my brother is shot. I did not say for an answer, but went up to my father, who was in bed, and said, Do get up, for my brother is shot. He would not believe me. And then I went into a room adjoining and awakened a young man. He would not believe me in neither. I went to the window and called Thomas as loud as I could. At last I said, Well, if nobody will believe me, I will go myself. I ran out of the door, and when I had got halfway from my father's house to my brother's, I saw my brother lying dead at the gate. I took hold of his right hand and said, Speak to me. But he could not, for he was quite dead. His head was laying towards me as I went up to him. Who was there at the time? Nobody. I was by myself. I saw nobody. When I saw my brother, I don't know whether I went home directly
0: or not, but I run to Mrs. Wells afterwards if I did. Cross-examined by Mr. Const. Question. You saw the prisoner afterwards with Mr. Locke? Yes. When I came back from Mrs. Wells, I saw
1: Mr. Locke, Mr. Gilbert, Mr. Stowe, and Mr. Smith with my brother. That was as I was coming back from Mr. Wells, where I went.
0: Had they a lantern? I don't know. I believe they had. You say your brother shut the door after him. Yes. You did not go out exactly at that time.
1: I got up directly out of my chair and I got upon some bricks adjoining the door. I heard the words spoke. When
0: you were out of the door? Yes, and when I was upon the bricks before the door. Now, the dress he had on was a bricklayer's dress? Yes, his working dress. Well, you must have heard of this
1: ghost. Uh, Yes, I heard great talk of it, that sometimes it appeared in a white sheet and sometimes in a calfskin dress,
0: with horns on its head and glass eyes. Did it ever occur to you to mention anything to your brother about his dress?
1: I spoke often to my brother and asked him if he saw it, should he be afraid, and he said yes.
0: As he was dressed in white, did it happen that you cautioned him about going out in that dress? No, I never did, because I never had any such thought of him. I only mean as to him being in danger. No. I don't mean to have it supposed that your brother was guilty of it, but as everybody was out to take the ghost, did you mention his being in white to him? I did not know it. You never had any conversation with him about it?
1: I heard that some people had seen
0: it, but I don't know anything about it. Had Smith and your brother any animosity towards each other?
1: I don't know. It is impossible for me to know.
0: Flower Sworns, this is a new guy. Question. Did you examine the body of the deceased?
1: Yes. I saw the body the day after the accident and examined it on the 6th, by order of Mr. Hodgson. It had a gunshot wound on the left side of the lower jaw, with small shot, about the size number 4, one of which had penetrated the vertebrae of the neck and injured the spinal marrow, which has a communication to the brain. I examined the
0: brain, but there was no injury whatever to the brain itself. What is your opinion with regard to this wound having been the cause of his death? I have doubt that it was the cause of it. It is what we call necessarily a mortal wound. What appearance was there of this having been given by a gunshot, besides the spinal marrow being touched? It had broke the jaw and the face was black. (laughs) (laughs) Cross-examined by Mr. Gurney. Question. Did you know anything of Smith before?
1: I did not, but the character I have heard of him is very good.
0: Far from being a vindictive (laughs) man. On the contrary, a very mild man. Brooks Swarns, this is a new guy. Question. What did you do the night the deceased was shot?
3: On oh, Tuesday night, the third of <laughs> oh January! January
0: 10 o'clock. I took the body of the deceased to the black lion. Mr.
2: Stone told me I must go along with him. The Millwood the father and Millwood the father going up a going up a lane. They said, We are going to take that the man that shot the other. We went up to the door and knocked, upon which Smith looked out the window and came down immediately, then surrendered himself. If I had two days and nights I had him in two days and nights At my
0: custody (laughs) Prisoner's defense
1: My lord I went out with a good intention And when this unhappy affair took place I did not know what I did Speaking to the deceased twice and he not answering I was so much agitated I did not know what I did I solemnly declare my innocence And that I had no intention to take away the life Of the unfortunate deceased or any other man Whatever
0: Evidence for the prisoner. Mrs. Fulbrook, sworn, examined by Mr. Const. Question. Are you related by marriage to the deceased? Yes. Have you heard any conversation at Hammersmith about the ghost? Yes. In consequence of what you have heard about it, did you ever say anything to the deceased about the dress he wore? "'On Saturday
1: evening he and I were at home, for he lived with me. "'He said he had frightened two ladies and a gentleman "'who were coming along the terrace in a carriage, "'for that the man said he dared to say there goes the ghost, "'that he said he was no more a ghost than he was, "'and asked him, using a bad word, did he want a punch of the head. "'I begged of him to change his dress, Thomas says I, "'as there is a piece of work about the ghost, "'and your cloths look white. Pray do put on your great coat that you may not run any danger.' I don't know what answer he made. He said he wished the ghost
0: was catched, or something of that sort. Thomas Groom, sworn, examined by Mr. Gurney. Question. Are you servant to Mr. Burgess, a brewer at Hammersmith?
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) Have you heard anything of this appearance of a ghost?
2: Yes, I have heard great talk of it.
0: Was it your misfortune to be hurt by it?
2: Yes, I was going through the churchyard between eight and nine o'clock with my jacket under my arm and my hands in my pocket when someone, some person came from behind a tombstone which was there or uh, four square in the yard behind me and caught me fast by the throat with both hands and held me fast my fellow servant who was going on before heard me scuffling asked what was the matter then whatever it was gave me a twist round and I saw nothing I gave a bit of a push out with my fist and felt something soft, like a great coat."
0: The prisoner called twelve witnesses, who gave him a good character. The jury retired for about three-quarters of an hour, when they returned a verdict of manslaughter. The Lord Chief Baron informed them that according to law he could not take that verdict, as they were not at liberty to find it. They That they must either find the prisoner guilty or not guilty, generally there being no circumstance in the case that could reduce it to manslaughter. If they could say, upon their oaths, they did not give credit to the witness for the prosecution, then they might find the prisoner not guilty. If they could not say so, then they must convict him, and the prerogative of shewing mercy lay in the crown. The jury immediately pronounced the prisoner, guilty, death, age 29, first Middlesex jury before the Lord Chief Baron. To give you guys a round yeah. of applause yeah. thank, you. <laughs> thank, you. thank you i'll edit in some some screaming and some clapping <laughs> great job so for our listeners because i know sometimes it can be hard especially for you guys too sometimes when you're reading a script you don't under- really understand what's absorbing going on it, yeah. yeah absorbing it so i'm going to summarize what was just acted out for you as written by journalist yvonne albers At his trial, Smith admitted firing the fatal shot, but entered a not guilty plea. Nobody had witnessed the actual shooting, and the Crown relied on the defendant's own account of what had occurred. The leading witnesses for the prosecution were John Locke, William Girdler, and Anne Millwood. Locke told of meeting Smith shortly after the shot was fired and how he was in a very distressed state. Anne told the court of hearing Smith challenge her brother, and insisted the shot followed so soon afterwards that, in her opinion, Thomas would not have had enough time to surrender or explain who he was. Smith made a brief statement in which he acknowledged that he knew he was not dealing with a ghost. He challenged the man twice to stop and give his name, but Millwood continued to advance towards him. Smith panicked and shot him. A number of witnesses spoke of his good character. Millwood's mother-in-law, meanwhile, told the court of a discussion she had with Thomas on the Saturday before the shooting. He told her he'd already been mistaken for the ghost while wearing his work clothes at night. Aware that groups of armed men were now patrolling the area, his mother-in-law had encouraged Millwood to wear an overcoat when out in his work clothes at night. The judge told the jury one of only two verdicts, murder or acquittal, was possible. Smith was not acting in self-defense, nor was the shooting accidental, he said, and the accused's good character didn't matter. Nevertheless, the jury returned with a verdict of guilty to manslaughter, but the judge refused to accept it. The jury members consulted with each other for a short time before declaring Smith guilty of murder. He was sentenced to hang and be dissected on the following Monday. Smith almost fainted and had to be carried from the dock by the turnkeys, However, the judge, who was fully aware of the great public interest in the case and support for the accused, said the case would be referred to the king immediately. On July 14th, Smith was granted a full pardon. Hmm.
1: So they told him not to wear his work clothes. People they, are going think you're the ghost. A man,
2: a working class man, should not have to fear that he can't walk down the street dressed like a ghost without getting shot. <laughs> It's just, that's the truth. He was dressed like a ghost. And so even if you dress like a ghost, I don't think your first thought should be getting shot because the idea of getting, like shooting a ghost to kill it is pretty stupid too.
1: But are you tempting fate dressed as a ghost when you know that there are people hunting for a ghost? The (laughs) only fate
2: he was tempting was the prospect of someone tossing like holy water on him as he walked by (laughs) or some sort of actual ghost remedy type thing. Right. I don't know.
0: Well, I'll... I don't know if you guys picked up on this in the transcripts, but there was a witness who said that he heard the gunshot, but he didn't think anything of it because guns were going off all the time at night. Yeah, yeah, Yeah,
2: yeah. (laughs) I mean, it just sounds like the 4th of July uh, in LA, two months leading up to (laughs) two months after the 4th of July in Los Angeles.
0: Now, here is the twist, you guys. Interestingly, two days after Thomas Millwood was shot to death in the face by Francis Smith, a local boot and shoemaker named John Graham admitted that he was the Hammersmith ghost. He explained that he had adopted the disguise to frighten his apprentices, who had been terrifying his three children with ghost stories. Graham surrendered to the magistrates, who were unsure of the legal position, and granted him bail while they sought guidance. Eventually, they decided to let him go, as it is not illegal to pretend to be a ghost. Now, here is the twist. While John Graham admitted to dressing up as a ghost in a white sheet, he was adamant that he had never dressed up in horns and calfskins and that he had never grabbed a pregnant woman or an elderly woman around the waist. Is it possible that there were two men pretending to be ghosts? Or was there really a ghost, possibly of the man who committed suicide, wandering aimlessly through the church graveyard, unable to pass on to the other side due to never receiving a proper burial? After Graham claimed responsibility for being the ghost, the ghost sighting stopped altogether for a while. However, in 1824, new reports of the Hammersmith ghost arose, and this time it was granted the superpower of fire-breathing. Ironically, while perhaps there was never a ghost in Hammersmith in the first place, Thomas Millwood, the unfortunate bricklayer, still haunts the Black Lion pub where his body was taken. The pub displays a plaque recounting the story. Drinkers hear their names whispered. Computers turn themselves on and off, and the upstairs floorboards can be heard creaking as if someone is walking across them. One owner believed he had even felt Thomas Millwood walk right through him one evening, a cold breeze chilling him all the way to his bones. So it seems that by being killed for being mistaken as a ghost, Thomas Millwood ended up becoming a ghost anyway.
2: Wow, and he's oh, already dressed apart.
1: What a twist. <laughs> what a that twist. I, sad I, full circle. I have to also wonder if maybe that one man that was trying to terrorize his employees and was dressing as a ghost, maybe if reports of that got out, there was like a copycat that went out there with, and was grabbing women.
2: Well, I wonder, I mean, part of me wonders if he was like, yeah, it was me, but not the one that killed those two women. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, if you're trying to confess, but not actually... Uh, get in trouble for it. That seems like how you do it. Like he was like, no, I was just pranking. But I no, I don't know which try I wasn't totally wasn't the one that two, killed those two women. The two casualties of all this. No, that wasn't me. Everything else was though. Yeah. Um, that seems like a good move there. Uh, I love that we have a ghost who passed away in 1804 that hit his favorite thing to do is turn computers on and off. Right. That must be a weird step for him.
0: Right. Well, and I sent you guys a picture of the plaque that currently stands outside of the Black Lion Pub because the Black Lion Pub, which is where Thomas Millwood, after he was shot, the village people took him into the pub to see if he could be saved or see what was going on because it was too dark in the lane. So he bled out in that pub and it still stands to this day. So you can still currently go to that exact same pub, have a drink, And I actually interviewed someone for this episode that lives in Hammersmith and has been a patron of the Black Lion Pub for over 50 years. So I'm going to insert that here in post. Peter, thank you so much for coming today and agreeing to be on Let's Get Haunted. We are so excited to have you on the show. And we're discussing the Hammersmith ghost the haunting and the murder of Hammersmith ghosts and all of the lore surrounding it. And Mm -hmm. I would love to introduce you to our audience first. So if you want to talk a little bit about your relationship to Hammersmith and um, where you grew up and your relationship to the Black Lion, we would love that.
3: Well, I was born in Hammersmith Hospital, so which is quite away from here, but it's uh, nevertheless Hammersmith Hospital. I lived in Bayswater at the time uh, in a beautiful house. We um, then moved to Shepherd's Bush, which, when I went to school at Latimer School, which is by the river, just long from the Black Lion. Um, I then, uh, when I bought a house um, 40 years ago, again, just literally 50 metres from the Black Lion, halfway between my school and, and, and it because um, I love the riverside. I've been coxing a rowing boat on the river since I was at school. I sit at the back and shout at the crew, um, and I still do that 62 years later. Oh, wow. Um, then I started that, um, and I, um, uh, so my, my, I, I know the area uh, really well from, from when I was 11 years old, really.
0: So you, you were born in Hammersmith, but yes. you said the hospital is a ways away from where you are. It's
3: away. it's nearly, it's, it's still in the, in the borough of Hammersmith, it, 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 but it, it's quite a way away. But it was right next to where my school playing field was as well. So, and uh, so it, it's been somewhere, a part of my life always.
0: And then I was speaking to uh, Jola, the manager at the Black Line. Am I pronouncing yes. your name correctly? Yes. Okay. And yes. she... And she was telling me a bit about you and that you have been, since you've been in, um, living in the area for so long, for your whole life, that you have been a frequent patron of the Black Lion. So what, well, of what age did you start going to the Black Lion or did you first
3: know of the Black when Lion was? I was still at school because one of the things that happened to me when I was at school is I not only copped a school rowing boat, and suddenly I had big, tall people. I was very small, uh, big, tall people looking after me. And, but I also kept the rainbow for what was then National Provincial Bank, who had a building right next to Hammersmith Bridge, again, a very old building. Um, and that building uh, was... Um, uh, te- they, they then merged with the Westminster Bank and became National Westminster Bank as they are today. But um, my rowing crew there, of course, would take me to the pub. <laughs> they would sit me in the corner with a half pint <laughs> in the corner. It was more the dove and the um, o- old chip that they would get me to. But occasionally, I could be sneaked into the um, into the black lion when I was about fourteen or fifteen. Uh, they were more difficult the black lion, They were more fussy about me. <laughs> but they did. Most of the pubs didn't really care how old you were in those days. So, and then of course, since I moved here, of course. That's the place I go by choice.
0: In front of the black lion, there's a plaque, I believe, right? That talks about this case, the hammersmith goes. And yes. do, you, do you recall when uh, that plaque went up or do you recall when the first time you saw it was?
3: Um, it's fairly recent. It's not it's not an old black. It, it's definitely not old, but uh it's fairly recent, definitely.
0: So you grew up knowing about the story of the Hammersmith
3: Ghost? And it's something something that people talk about a lot because because it's an interesting story. It, it um whether it's definitely true. That there's no argument that it happened. So um it's not a myth. It, it It's a truth. It's a definite view. There was records of the trial of the person who shot him and so forth. So.
0: Yeah, I was reading those court records and I was reading in those records that um, the body of Thomas Millwood, who was mistaken for the Hammersmith ghost. Yes. It was laid out in the Black that uh, correct?
3: Right, yeah. right? Yes, because so that's where he was, came out of to, to go ghost hunting.
0: <laughs> oh, OK. So when... So the uh, Francis Smith, who shot Thomas Millwood, he came out yes. of The Black Lion?
3: Yes, basically the story goes, uh, and I think maybe we ought to set the scene, because we're by the river, it, it's not so foggy today, but even when I was at school it was incredibly foggy around here. Mm-hmm. And I like to think it was a foggy night, but nothing says that, but I'd like to think it would have been foggy. Uh, and the story goes okay. that, uh, that there that, 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 that was a sighting of the ghost in, in St Paul's churchyard, that's about 800 metres away, um, t- maybe a kilometre away, um, down the river. Um, and uh, so, the, I, the, the, I don't know how near to the Black Lion this happened, because uh, they were drinking in the Black Lion, and for whatever reason, he had a blunderbuss with him, according to the story. It <laughs> went to ghost hunting. That's the story.
0: And so he walked out of the Black Lion and he saw <clears throat> what he thought was the ghost. Yes. Thomas Millwood was dressed in his all-white bricklayer's uniform. It,
3: it, he was dressed, he was a bricklayer and he was he was covered in dust and wearing white. So yes, and I like to think it was probably foggy.
0: So they carried his body into the Black Lion um, yes. after he was deceased. And yes. now it is rumored that the ghost of Thomas Millwood, although it's sort of ironic, right? In the in being mistaken for a ghost, he sort of became a ghost according to the lore. And now he haunts the black lion. Is that how the story goes in your area?
3: It is certainly how it's been told to me by some previous landlords of the pub, because they, they, they live... They're, they're, they're flat for the, they, they're stuck, the landlord is right at the top of the building and it's uh, it's a lovely flat, it, it's within the roof uh, mm-hmm. and it's got very low ceilings and it's a very lovely place but some landlords have, have said that they feel the presence or, or think of, of it so yes it's certainly a story I've heard that, yeah. that, that they still think today that, they, that, it, that it is um, that it, it, it is still uh, haunted, but, but present landlords certainly don't say that and certainly the previous two haven't said it So,
0: Well and you said that you had heard some previous um, landlords or previous owners yes. of the building, what, what were the sorts of things that they had said?
3: Well it's always a feeling of presence, it's always feeling feeling that something happened but of course most of them know the story so you know this is the dilemma.
0: The old graveyard that was next yeah. to the church is comes up multiple times in this story and yeah. is that graveyard still there?
3: The graveyard yes of course church graveyard is still there um, the church is a different church as far well as I know I think the church was built There was a church then it was rebuilt later and unfortunately it's got a flyover going right across it uh, the churchyard (laughs) perhaps a flyover um but also we had chiswick uh, church which is uh, further along. so that's got a very historic graveyard as well and again that is of the period and again there would have been a pathway going along there at the time so So, uh, (laughs)
0: In in a lot of the stories um, that I was reading about um, the church in the graveyard in Hammersmith, um, they were saying that it just seemed like a lot of people were walking really late at night by themselves through the graveyard. Would that have been a idea?
3: Again, I think they would have avoided the riverfront. Um, And also, as I say, it's the Great West Road. So um, it's... used to come, I mean, what is now the the Promo Road extension and Tarlegarth Road extension. I mean, the the road goes literally all the way from central London out to Bristol. And the moment if you land at Heathrow Airport, you get a dual carriageway all the way through to Knightsbridge and then through to central London, again on very good roads. Um, And... um, so the main reason people would be walking through past the churchyard is that's the main road it was alongside the main road at the time it doesn't look like it today because it's got a flyover and the road was widened to a three-lane dual carriageway in either direction but at one time it would have been the main way out of london by a stagecoach
0: see because uh, when i was telling this story to some friends they were saying well that's just not believable why would someone be walking through a graveyard at night and so i was well, wondering
3: yeah, alongside the road of the period, the big road across the top of this map is the Great West Road. And so it goes literally past the churchyard. So it, it that's why people were working there late at night. It was the main way in and out of London.
0: Okay, so then the it's, it's completely believable that people would have been walking all hours of day and night. Yeah.
3: And we didn't have a bridge. Bear in mind, we didn't have a bridge till 1820. Uh, Sticks or I when Teoday Clark's Bridge was built. So the, 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 the thing about the, the main road, the main road basically followed the river route, but it was the main way of getting about uh, and also getting across the river. So if you wanted to go to Barnes, uh, the other side of the river, you'd come to Hammersmith and you'd get a ferry road across the river. There weren't no bridges.
0: So would it be fair to say that the, the church um, may have been sort of like... Um, the, at the epicenter of Hammersmith or, or a very important crossroad? Well,
3: it it, of it in the, what was then the center of Hammersmith, yes. Yeah. Okay. And alongside the main road for, for reasons, for that reason. So, yes, it was, it was definitely there at the time. So, yes. But,
0: is there is there anything that else that you would like to add that you think our listeners should know about as it relates to the black lion
3: it's a really lovely pub. it it, it, it's like a village pub to us here
0: well it sounds like hammersmith is a really lovely town with a lot of history it's
3: it's very very lovely i wouldn't live anywhere else certainly i wouldn't live anywhere else but by our lovely river as well because uh, the thames is beautiful
0: well is there anyone that you'd like to give a shout out to or anything you'd like to Plug. No,
3: no I'm not saying anything like that but I say if you're in London do come to the Black Lion it, it's a wonderful pub. It's, it's on the way from Heathrow Airport into central London it's very easy to stop off there and um, you go literally right past the end of Black Lion Lane which is cut in half by the motorway but um, it, right, the main road forms the motorway um, and uh, it's a lovely place to be and we've got a lot of lovely buildings and we've got a very very beautiful bridge well,
0: I hope that the pandemic ends soon and
3: that, I hope it does. And and that, that we can come all travel again
0: and, and visit the Black Lion.
3: Yes, please. Love to see you if we do.
0: Yeah, it's I'm really sure. lovely talking
3: to you. <laughs> really, really lovely talking to you. I, was so you know. I didn't know, so I'm very no pleased with that.
0: <laughs> well, so go if you have time and you can send me um, some of those photos you were showing. I'll certainly
3: send you the photographs. I'll certainly do that.
0: Amazing. Thank okay. you so much, Peter. Yeah.
3: Thanks very much. Thanks.
0: So if one of you wants to read aloud, the plaque That is currently affixed to the front of the Black Lion pub that I texted you.
2: The Black Lion, formerly known as the Black Lion with a Y, a public house has stood on this site for well over 200 years, originally a piggery, Piggery. which, by the way, is what we refer to as our apartment. (laughs) Piggery. It is reputed that the pig farmer started uh, brewing beer for himself and his friends. This proved so popular that it overtook his agricultural interests as his main occupation. The Hammersmith ghost started haunting Black Lion Lane and St. Paul's Churchyard in 1804. One night in excise, officer Francis Smith filled his blunderbuss which is also the name of our apartment, one of us, with shot and himself with ale before killing, uh, filled himself with shot and, and ale before killing an unfortunate white-clothed bricklayer, Thomas Millwood, whom he...
0: I believe it's Something had. covered
2: by a leaf... Uh, mis- had, maybe had mistaken. Had mistaken for the ghost. It was... Uh,
0: at, at the, the Black b- Lion. At the
2: Black Lion that the body was taken and an inquest held later.
0: Thank you. Yes, so now the Black Lion is thought to be haunted. And this case is significant for a couple of reasons. Um, On this podcast, we've only had one other story that I think kind of maybe has some parallels to this one. And it was the case of the Greenbrier ghost, which happened in, in the United States in the early 1800s, where basically the story from that one is a woman was murdered. Nobody knew who murdered her. Then her mother had a vision where her daughter's ghost came to her and told her the story of her murder and who had murdered her. And this testimony of the ghost was allowed at trial. It was the only time in US history that the testimony of a ghost was allowed at trial and the murderer was uh, convicted based on this testimony. So I thought this case kind of has some parallels because it's we kind of think of the paranormal and the legal system as never crossing over. But yeah. they did. This They kind of crossed over. And this case also introduced an important question into U.K. law. Should someone be held liable for their actions if those actions were committed under a sincere misunderstanding? According to author Jane Alexander's article published in The Londonist entitled The Time Someone Shot a Ghost Dead in Hammersmith, she writes, Over time, the curious case of the Hammersmith ghost faded into history, but the questions raised in law by Smith's attempted defense remained open. The implications of it were finally clarified during a case in the early 1980s. A man had witnessed what he believed to be one person assaulting another and attacked the man he believed to be committing the crime. However, it turned out that the alleged assailant was actually taking away the other person on suspicion of theft and was not attacking him. The person who had intervened was convicted of assault but appealed on the grounds that he genuinely believed that the victim was the one committing the crime even if that was a mistaken belief after considering the case the judges agreed with the argument and overturned his conviction and according to an article written in the independent today two over 200 years later Up to 50 attorneys and followers of the paranormal will meet outside the Black Lion Pub in Hammersmith, West London, where the bricklayer's body was taken to celebrate the case. The Ghost Ghost Club, the country's oldest paranormal organization, was co-founded in 1862 by Charles Dickens and had the poet W.B. Yeats and Siegfried Sassoon as members. Alan Murdy, a barrister and the chairman of the Ghost Club, said that the case was so fascinating because it bristles with legal and supernatural interest.
1: I want to join the Ghost Club and go with them there.
0: (laughs) So I'm going to read my sources, and then I would love to hear your guys' closing thoughts on this case. So my sources for this episode are a textbook entitled Cultures of Death and Dying in Medieval and Early Modern Europe, edited by Mia Corpiola and Anu Latinen. Wikipedia, which is our favorite source on this podcast, Crime Magazine had an article titled The Hammersmith Ghost and the Strange Death of Thomas Millwood, written by Martin Bagoli. The court records for this case can be found at oldbaileyonline.org, which is an online archive of London's Central Criminal Court from the years 1674 to 1913. People Magazine in New Zealand had an article entitled True Crime, The Hammersmith Ghost, written by Yvonne Albers. TheLondonist.com had an article entitled, The Time Someone Shot a Ghost Dead in Hammersmith, written by Jane Alexander. Real-British-Ghosts.com had an article (laughs) titled, The Strange Case of the Hammersmith Ghost. LifedeathPrizes.com had an article titled, Inside the Hammersmith Ghost Murder of Thomas Millwood by Caroline Helder. I also bought a book called, Deviant Burial and the Archaeological Record, written by Eileen M. Murphy. HistoryExtra.com had an article titled, Why Were People Who Died by Suicide Historically Buried at Crossroads by Eugene Byrne? Independent.co.uk had an article titled, Killing of Ghost Brick Lair is Marked by Lawyers, written by Arifa Akbar. And The Case of a Ghost Haunted England for Over 200 Years, written by Kelly Buchanan on blogs.loc.gov. And last but not least, an interview with Peter, a patron of the Black Lion Pub for over 50 years. Shout out to Peter. Thank you for talking to me. Those were all of my sources for this episode. That is The Case of the Hammersmith Ghost. Wow.
1: Closing That's thoughts, you line. guys. Yeah. I think, like the lawyers, it's fascinating from the perspective of looking at murder, sans intent, mm-hmm. because that's a that's a big thing. Where, like you're saying, or like you were saying, Allie, if if there was no intent, mens rea, if you will, should someone be found guilty? Like that that is mm-hmm. such a complex question. It is or such a complex morality question that I don't personally know the answer to but the fact that this precedent goes back to what is sort of a silly case yeah you know someone think being confused as a ghost yeah is pretty interesting
2: yeah for sure I mean I think it's funny that this is the case that like kind of spawned it because this one seems a little bit more cut and dry to me because (laughs) because he was like like one dude with a gun and another guy with a brick (laughs) like was like i'm just trying to go home man and he's like back ghost spirit and then like (laughs) fires a blunderbuss at him or whatever you know like so but it is funny how it's like but i i don't know i guess i guess in this case smith would have believed that he was not necessarily a ghost but a creepo who was hanging out in the cemetery grabbing women
1: maybe though right I think that maybe some of them thought there could have been a genuine ghost.
2: Yeah, but and it did seem were, like they that, were
1: actually ghost hunting. That
2: that militia kind of formed after one dude was like, "Man, I saw him throw off the sheet and go running into the alley. Like, he's like, not a ghost. <laughs> he's not a goat man." I'm still left with the questions of goat man. What?
0: What is Where that, did do- that come from? Yes. Is that See, that's a good point because basically in this story we have we have this guy that committed suicide. Let's not forget about that guy that that yeah. really <laughs> happened, and. At the time, it was a genuine belief that you can't bury people in consecrated ground if they commit this crime against oneself but he was. Somebody decided, took pity on him. Maybe we don't really know the story of why they did this, but maybe his family um, said, well, you know, please do this for us. There's a lot of speculation about maybe he was like a great guy in this small town and they didn't want to do this deviant burial where you chop someone's head off and chop their arms off and bury them at a crossroads. And so for whatever reason, somebody took pity on him, buried him in this churchyard, and that created already a lot of uncomfortableness or discomfort among the village people who sincerely thought okay it's just a matter of time before this guy is going to come back and start haunting mm-hmm. us yeah. so that's the first thing we have to remember then we have two variations of the apparition we have this guy in calf skins with glass eyes like they describe them as marble like black marbles that never blink and with horns coming out of his head and then we have a guy in a white sheet The white sheet guy allegedly is this guy, Graham, who was a bootmaker, who was mad that his apprentice was scaring his kids. So for some reason, he made the leap from, I'm mad that my kids are scared, to let me scare this whole village. But Mm -hmm. he claims that he was only wearing a white sheet. He never caused anyone any bodily harm. We know that these two women died. Now, to your point, James, I mean, one was really old. We don't know how old. Could it have been like a heart attack, like she just got scared and had a heart attack? Now, the other woman was pregnant. And we know that back in the day, pregnancy was kind of a death sentence a third of the time because of all the complications and lack of modern medicine. So maybe it was something like that. Then we have this wagoner that almost crashed and killed 16 passengers who saw a goat man on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Graham says he never dressed up as a goat man. Thomas Millwood could not have been mistaken for a goat man because he was all dressed in white. So yeah, I mean, what what is the story here? Could there really have been the spirit, the lost and wandering spirit of this poor man who committed suicide and didn't get a proper burial? I Maybe mean, he the, came back as a as a the goat man.
1: The accounts can't really provide an explanation. And we can't seem to come up with one means, you know, it's not off the table. I'm still questioning, like, why Graham went to that extreme. Like, did he not just consider, I'll have a conversation with my employees, say, stop scaring the kids. Or did he just go from zero to 11 and say, I'm going to get the sheet. That's
2: how Graham has always operated. Graham has always taken it to 11.
1: (laughs) Because it it seems like there's a missing step there where he could have just asked them to stop.
2: Well, but let me tell you this. Graham came from a shoemaker family, but he made boots. Boots arguably being the 11 of shoes, right? <laughs> yeah. So when he needed to scare his co-workers, he wasn't going to just... Or his, his sco- scare his co-workers about the ghost stories and stuff. He wasn't just going to have a conversation. He's going to go out and he's going to grab women at the cemetery.
1: I'm going <laughs> right. to eschew cynicism and say that because there is no evidence to suggest otherwise and we can't find a plausible explanation, maybe there was something... You know, there was a third goat man mm-hmm.
2: here. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... No, I'm going to kind of do go back to where I think most of this paranormal stuff lands with me and Ali you you basically touched on it. I think whatever happened left the vill- with the suicide left the village with a certain trauma that probably didn't get resolved that was compounded by the fact that they felt like their their cultural sensibilities and their religious sensibilities were probably being infringed upon by the burial which then caused basically heightened, a like, heightened sense of things for people in the community to feel like there was potential for horror and fear. So
1: maybe they just saw a stray goat on the road. Maybe it was just a goat. <laughs> thought it was a goat man. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
2: it was a manatee. I think it may have been a manatee. <laughs> yeah. a maybe
1: mermaid. it was one of those things where a man and a goat are crossing the road at the same time, and they line up just from perfectly. Angle, just yeah, perfectly, yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Well, and so. some people thought, when I was reading... Um, so also I just want to do like a quick aside. I know we only have a couple minutes left, but that old Bailey org or, or old that has all those court cases from the 1600s to 1800s was super interesting. Cause I was just like kind of going through it, trying to find this case. And I found like, for example, um, Uh, a guy that had stolen some petticoats out of some woman's house. So kind of like a medieval panty raid (laughs) and then been taken to court. And like they were kind of trying to decide like, is he guilty or not? Um, And then I had also found uh, another case where someone had seen a goat man and like been really scared and done something. I didn't read into it. I think they caused some property damage or something. And last week we actually talked about, um a cryptid in the united states that is half man half goat that is supposed to be like a demon or some guy that got cursed by satan and so i was kind of thinking too with this if they really thought that a man who committed suicide was committing a mortal sin could he you know powered by the powers of satan or whatever could he then be transformed into this demonic goat man i don't know maybe
2: maybe Maybe. Maybe. I think the b- b- What we need to do as a society, we need to get over Goatman as a symbol of something bad. Mr. Tumness showed us <laughs> yeah. that not all Goatmen, I guess he was a fawn, but still, um, you know, You're aren't losing all me. bad. You're losing me. Okay, right. sorry. <laughs> Goatmen are terrible.
1: I mean, yeah. it seems like all of, it's a recipe for Goatman. Like all of the right things are aligning here.
2: Perfect storm of Goatmen. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, the perfect storm. I agree. Well, <laughs> Thank you guys for coming on the show today. I really appreciate having you. Oh, thank and you. Yeah, thank This you. was yeah. great. I
1: love this. It was super fun.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And I uh, want to ask you guys to do our sign-off. Whenever we have a guest on the podcast, we have them do our sign-off. And you're supposed to say, BRB, got to go. And then a call back to something that happened in the episode. So I'll give you an example. Like, BRB, got to go. Find Mister Tumness in an eighteen hundreds gotcha. graveyard. Good. Yeah. So and okay. so you can you guys can do a, as many as you want in a row, and I'll okay. I'll pick the best ones or whatever you want.
2: All right. Brb, gotta go. Just saw a pregnant woman walking by. Brb, gotta goat man. <laughs> oh.
1: <Yeah.
0: wow>. Oh. <laughs> I think we have to end on that, Elise.
1: Nice job. Oh, wow. Very I did, good. I did, was I, got, I had a whole bunch <laughs> about. I was going to be making shoes, wearing white yeah. co- clothes, <laughs> walking around <laughs> graveyards at night.
2: BRB, gotta go, tired of holding my head between my legs. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, guys. Awesome, Bye. thank you. Thanks, Al. Bye.
1: <laughs>